0: Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ and don't think about, just don't think, refuse to think about ways to satisfy your sinful nature. Just think of ways to please God. It's all about pleasing Him. At the end of the day, that's what we're here to do. The meaning of life. People got all these different ways of thinking about the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? And there's that big mystery. That's not. It's easily solved in the scriptures. We were created to please God. That's it. We please God. We've, We've attained to the meaning of life. And you can't get a more fuller, complete life than that. And pleasing him in every way, shape and form. Now if that means we've got to get into the prayer closet for an hour a day in the morning, get in there please Him. Get into the prayer and please God. Put Him first. because I tell you, and I always say this, you won't be more than two minutes dead and you'll wish you spent more time pleasing God. You know, you enter into the death realm and people are entering into the death realm all the time. Who knows that? You know, we've seen many recently and the moment you enter in, that's when you're gonna, everything is going to make much, so much more sense. There will be so much clarity at that time. Oh, it was all about Jesus, was it? Oh, it was all about pleasing God. You know, a lot of people that we know enter the death realm and don't know that that's the meaning of life. They've never worked it out. I've got a grandmother who's nearly 102, isn't she? Nearly 102. She's still got all her faculties. You talk to her on the phone, it's like talking to a 60-year-old. But guess what? She's never worked out the meaning of life. She hasn't worked it out. And I'll try to tell her, but she'll go, yeah, okay, okay, enough of that already. You know. And um, you just hurt for her because you think, how can you get that old? How can you have that much life experience and still not found Jesus Christ and be brave enough to enter death without him? I tell you what, I'm not that brave. man. who knows when your moment's from death, whose name are you going to be calling on? Full on. It's There's no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. You won't be calling on your friends. You won't be calling on your parents. You won't be calling on anyone except Jesus Christ. I remember I heard a report of someone who, and I think I said this a few weeks ago, of a, a plane that... Seemed like it was going down. It seemed like it was going to crash, and a passenger in there was calling on Jesus. He was a Christian. He says, "You could not believe that there was only one name I heard during that period, as the plane is seemingly going to crash. All you heard was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the only name you can think of." No, and you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if a Muslim was going down. He would be calling on Jesus. Why didn't I call him Muhammad? Well, we can't save. Only Jesus can save. And inside us all, we know that. We fight it, but we know it. Only one man died and rose again. Only one man has that as part of history. bibles to one thessalonians one good thing about this, a survey of the new testament is you get to go through the whole new testament um <laughs> and it's really good so you get to read a lot of scripture all right so one thessalonians we are in the book of romans but i'm starting with this one and you can't see it up there but it's one thessalonians 4 verses 1 to 8 so it says finally brothers we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. So he's saying to the Thessalonians, we instructed you how to live. So the Christian church is meant to instruct you on how to live. It's not, now you're saved, go for your life, live however you want, just keep a confession of faith. That's never been Christianity until the 20th century. It's always been, we instruct you on how to live. Now I'm not gonna start saying what to wear and what to eat. I'm not that's not that's what some churches get caught up in, don't they? Some churches start saying women have got to wear denim dresses right down to their ankles. And then they start saying, Stop eating, you know, pork and you know, eat only fish or whatever, or become a vegan, you know. And it's it's crazy because that's really got nothing to do with it. It's not about food. You know. Sure, we've got to dress modestly. And I think um, uh, one thing that Paul Washer made quite clear is always dress to um, uh, cause your face to become the attention. Don't dress that so that your body becomes the attention. Do you know what I'm saying? Guys, we don't have much trouble with that. It, it's, <laughs> it's the girls that have the trouble with it, or the younger girls. Don't dress so that your body draws, you draw attention to your body. Draw attention to your face. You know, And th- I thought that was a pretty good sort of thing. I'm not um, you know, going to be really come down heavy on people because there'll be people during revival, there'll be people coming in dressed in all sorts of ways. And if we start judging them, you know, we're going to be getting really mess- messed up. So, uh, but certainly the Bible is very clear on teaching us how to live. And, and Paul says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God because isn't that what it's all about? pleasing God as in fact you are living now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus it is God's will that you should be holy so it's God's will that you should be holy is that legalism there is Paul become a legalist well, if, if, if preaching holiness is legalism, then the whole New Testament is full of legalism, isn't it? It's totally full of it. Because if you do a word search, do a word search in the New Testament of the word holy. And you'll find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of references to holiness. And it's always, just about all the time, exhortations to be holy as he is holy. You know, always telling us, be holy, be holy. Stop living, you know, a sinful lifestyle. So it is God's will that you should be holy and that you should avoid sexual immorality, right, of all forms. Avoid it, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lusts like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this manner matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. So don't do your brother over, you know, don't. Rip them off financially or anything like that. Just look after your brother. Bless your brother. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. As we have already told told you and warned you. For God did not call us. Listen to this carefully. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man. So you're not rejecting me but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So if, if, if a person gets online and starts rejecting what I'm teaching about holiness, he's not rejecting me. I don't have to worry. He's not rejecting me. He's rejecting God who tells them to live a holy life. So holiness is clearly in the Bible. And it, there is that many references to it. Um, this, this series could take me quite a long time to get through. I'm going to try to get through it quicker so I'm sure you're going to be happy with that. Let's go to Romans 8:12, and it says, everyone there? It says, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. What's an obligation? A commitment? What? If you're obligated, if you've said yes to do something, you're obligated to do it, aren't you? You have to do it now, you know? Um, and if you don't do it, you sort of break your obligation. It doesn't... You know, your friend, if you were obligated to your friend to do it and you don't do it, you're not looked upon very well by your friend. They'll be like, you let me down. You said you were going to do it, now you let me down. And so this is what, this, that word holds, especially when you're obligated to God, its it's not our choice anymore. This is our obligation. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature and to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, what does it say next? You must die. You will die. Right? Who's he saying this to? Therefore, brothers. Now, is he talking about a physical death? Or is he talking about an eternal death there? Well, everyone's going to die, aren't they? Everyone's going to die unless the Lord returns before that. So he's obviously not talking about that because it's like, you know, well, we're all going to die. That's not a big thing. He didn't mean that. What he's saying is if you live according to the sinful nature, the thing that Jesus died to so that you could be forgiven from, so that you would not live according to it anymore, if you live according to that sinful nature, you will die eternal death. That's the connotation. That's why it has powerful warning. It's used as a warning. If you water that warning down, then you're watering down the gospel and now now no one has the thing inside them say, gee, I've got to live a holy life. Because if you water it down, you know, because it's easy to live according to the sin nature. Amen? Is it not easy to live according to the sinful nature? Absolutely. So what Paul's saying is, like he said, I beat my body and I make it a slave. What's he saying? He's causing himself to live according to a holy standard that Jesus left us. And we're going to see a lot more of this. So let's, let's keep going. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit, see, as I keep on saying, you cannot fulfill this. You cannot be holy except by the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit's called the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes into a man and makes him holy. But if you're not holy, then you've got to question, is the Holy Spirit fully active in my life? Because when he's fully active, once you've given him complete room in your life, you will be holy. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit can't be anything but holy. So if we're not holy, we've got to say, Okay, God, forgive me, I'm not giving the Holy Spirit enough say in what happens in my day. You can write that down. not giving the Holy Spirit enough say in what happens in my day. Okay, so for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, what does it say then? You will live. Now, it's not saying living forever in this life, because we're going to die. It's saying living forever in eternity. Okay? You will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So if you're not living or led by the spirit of god you're not a son or daughter of god you must be led by the spirit of god for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear not the fear of god the fear of man the fear of circumstances how much fear is there in the church of circumstances at the moment of of situations of world events you know we should be above that we shouldn't get fearful about world events bring it on I'm in Christ. What can you do to me? Kill my body, but you can't really touch me. You know, I'm in Christ. I'm in his hand. There's no way that that these things can take me out of his hand. But if you let the situations in life really get to you, you can start saying, "Why has God allowed this in my life? Why has God done this to me? Why has God done that? I don't like God." And reject him. That's what the fear of situations because we have to see it from eternal perspective we've got to see things differently we've got to look from above from the way god looks at things not get caught up from the ground up (laughs) and say why is this happening let's get above that by the spirit that means we've got to be in prayer we've got to live in prayer we've got to live in in the presence of god continuously we've got to be filled with the spirit continuously so romans therefore brothers no i won't go back that far for well, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Because see how you use the word a slave again. Meaning we were a slave to fear before we got saved. Once we've got saved, we're no longer slaves to fear or we shouldn't be. But you received the spirit of sonship, daughtership. You received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies that our spirit, that we are, uh, with our spirit, that we are God's children. Who has that testimony? Yeah? I have that testimony that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co heirs. Co heirs. With Christ, isn't that wonderful? If indeed we share in his sufferings, listen to those words. I want to just elaborate a bit on this. If indeed, if we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Now it's something interesting about the word sufferings. Can we go to 1 Peter 4 one? So we, we get, just got told by Paul, we've got to share in his sufferings. I love the Bible because it always clarifies itself. And you're going sharing in his sufferings. Well, I haven't shared any sufferings. I haven't been imprisoned. I haven't been beaten. I haven't had these things happen to me. Well, 1 Peter 4 1. Therefore, since Christ, Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin done with sin so what's the suffering resistance to the sin nature sometimes it can make you suffer who knows that someone who's a drug addict and they to resist that sin do they have to suffer to resist it yeah they have to go through withdrawals and then they have to go through years and years of craving and maybe depressions but they've if but they've got to be prepared to suffer alcoholism is the same thing all addictions actually sin is an addiction whatever sin it is it's an addiction it has a hold on you it makes you just want to go back and go back and go back and you might be free from it for a while and then you get pulled back into it again who knows what I'm talking about you keep pulling you back and you're thinking how does that have such a pull on me well we got to suffer we got to suffer and say no no matter how strong it's pulling us we got to say no And resist it with everything within us. Amen. Because the scriptures tell us this is the case. Let's keep going. Romans. And remember, it's our, our obligation. Romans. Back to Romans. Romans 8 verse 28. And it says, And we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, To be conformed, listen to this, to be conformed to the likeness of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus was firstborn from the dead, so that we, and he's our example, so that we can be conformed to him, to become like him, that we be predestined. It's our destiny. It's all of our destinies to be like Jesus, to conform to him, to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Amen? And I think that's powerful because Jesus Christ is our example. He's an incredible, incredible God. He came in a human form and showed us that it's possible to overcome sin by the power of the Spirit. Because remember, he was baptized in the Spirit, wasn't he? John the Baptist... Baptized him in water, so that we, not that he had any sin to repent of, but he got baptized in water and then he was filled with the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we receive. You know, and people say, well, he was God. Well, we have God in us. You know? And surely if we give him room in our life, we will be able to fulfill all that he's called us to fulfill and we could be holy as he is holy. And that's the whole idea of it. And I don't know how far the church has fallen to not understand this any longer. That this doctrine is so mixed up in so many churches. I remember Andy and Sharon was uh, saying to me, um, uh, well, when they first came, and Andy said, "I'm going to find a church that preaches repentance and teaches about sin and teaches about hell." And Sharon laughed and said, "Yeah, good luck finding that in Adelaide." Um, Well, I hope hope you found it here. Oh, I'm going to keep preaching on hell <laughs> every sermon now, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. The church has fallen a lot from this. I'm not saying that they're teaching complete falsity out there because there's many that don't, and I know a lot of churches. And um, a I, I, I person I'm pretty sure there's some in Adelaide. There's there's more. Uh, I don't know of any because I haven't met any ministers or heard of many that preach exactly the doctrines of. You know, calling men and women to holiness and, and by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by a work that we can do. Right? It's not by works. I can't muster holiness. You know? I can only depend on Jesus Christ to, to fill me with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. I've got to clothe myself with Jesus Christ. So I have an obligation to submit to the Holy Spirit every day. And the way we usually do that is through prayer. We go into prayer. We get into our prayer closet and we pray and we pray and we pray until God starts to do a work inside of us and that we come out of there with clarity. You know, I'm learning now to stay in prayer until I receive clarity in my mind. If I go into prayer, who knows you can go into prayer and you feel really mixed up. And you just sit. So now I've even discovered what I do is I just stay there and I just shut my eyes and go, okay, God, sort this mind out because it's a scramble. It's going in every direction. You know, sometimes I, I long to get behind this pulpit because it seems like the only time in the week where I feel clarity of mind. And then I, as soon as the sermon's finished, I walk out there with you guys and it's all like dull again. <laughs> not that it's, you know, I, it's not always like that, but that's how it sort of feels you know clarity comes behind the pulpit i don't know why that is yeah but it's it is um very important that we spend that time adequate time in the presence of god get into the prayer room get into your prayer closet and seek him until you start to see things clearly until you start to recognize sin who knows that you cannot recognize it sometimes you're living in sin and you just and it's not until like a week later you go i can't believe what i've been up to and for some reason, Satan had me deceived, had me thinking that this little thing that I was into was, was fine with God. But it's not. You know, And I'm not here to judge anyone in this church. This is not my job to judge. My job is to preach and help you guys find it because I'm, I'm not perfect and I'm sure none of you are. But I'm sure the Holy Spirit wants that to change. Not to be, say that I'm not into perfectionism. Have you heard of the term perfectionism? Right, it's a doctrine that you must be perfect to get into the kingdom of heaven. Right, well, good luck. <laughs> Gee, I don't think we, any of us will make it here. Right? But we must live holy lives in repentance. Right? That's the beautiful thing. We have the gift of repentance. We can say sorry to our Father who loves us. Who knows when our children sin against us, we don't kick them out of the house. Boot them out, you're out of here. We love them. We want them to repent and come back. I looked at Tessa at that time. I didn't mean to, Tess. She doesn't need to. <laughs> not at the moment anyway. But we need to just repent and our God is so loving, he just receives us back. But he wants to see us not go back and repeat it again and repeat it again and repeat it again. He wants us to Truly repent and stop doing it. It's like a kid who keeps doing the same thing. Comes over, sorry, Dad. Then he runs over and does it again. You know, smashes your garden bed up. Comes over, sorry, Dad, I didn't mean to do that. I'm really, really sorry. All right, no worries, you're forgiven. And then he runs back over and kicks the stones out again. But you just said sorry for that. You know, just think of it from those perspectives. We've got to see it. That's why he uses the term Abba, Daddy, you know, a father. What? How, he, how we relate to our children is how God relates to us, we don't keep going and smashing down Jesus' garden bed. We don't smash his garden bed down every time we say sorry for doing it. You know, good analogy, I suppose, Good, good enough. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. And then it says here, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship, which is your spiritual worship. See, God loves a holy people. When you're holy for God, it's worship to him. He receives worship when he sees a Christian obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He receives a blessing. It's like it's better than the worship we did today. He, he, he just finds it now. I love. You know, it's like when you've got a really, really good child that pleases you in every way, when they walk in the room, you're just happy. That's how I feel with all of our children. You're just happy. You know, it, you've received joy. Who knows what I'm talking about? You receive joy from a good child. But if a child's not a good child, you receive the opposite. So we've got to pray for our children. Amen? Amen. It's tough, tough time in history. Kids, kids are having a tough out there because there's so many things to pull them off track, so many. So we got to pray, you know. Get in your closet, do the whole uh, war room thing for your kids. All right, so that's twelve one to two. I think I finished it. Oh no, here we go. Verse two, it says, "Do not conform." Listen to this. This is the Bible, not Rob. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, you need your mind renewed. Where do you get that? In the prayer closet. When your mind is scrambled, get in the prayer, stay in prayer until your mind unscrambles. Get a renewed mind. Then you'll be able to Listen to this. With that renewed mind, with that clarity, it's then that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. So when your mind's scrambled, you can't tell what God's will is. You know, if someone says, what God, what's God's will? You'd be going, oh, I've got no idea at the moment. I don't know what his will is. But when you're, when you're in the presence of God and your mind is being renewed, then you can tell what God's will is. You start to sense God's will. And guess what? His will is good, pleasing, and perfect, isn't it? So you want to know God's will. Let's keep moving. Romans 13. 13, 11 to 14. Does the Bible say that we should be holy? Yeah? This is not legalism, guys. This is scripturalism. Thirteen, eleven, 11 and it says and do this understanding the present time the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when you've we first believed i like that wake up from your slumber who feels sometimes you can slip into slumber and into sleep mode as a christian yeah we've all been there you just sleep and weeks can roll by roll by and there's no passion in your heart for christ and The Bible doesn't get read and the prayer time gets less and less and things slip in, sins slip in, stuff starts to happen and you just slowly get cold or at least lukewarm. Wish you were either one or the other, says Jesus, but because you're neither, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. What's that say? Jesus is not one to pick up what he spat out of his mouth. If he spits a lukewarm Christian out of his mouth, he means it's gone. It's out of there. There's no picking it up. It's disgusting to think that God would pick it up again. Don't let yourself become a lukewarm Christian. Either become hot for God, because heat can do a lot of wonderful things, can't it? We can warm up our milk so we can have a nice hot cappuccino later with heat can't do it with lukewarm, it won't go anywhere. It's like, this thing's not getting hot. And what does coldness do? It's refreshing, isn't it? Who knows, when you have a nice cold glass of water, it's a beautiful thing. And if it's lukewarm, you're going, oh, this is lukewarm. Haven't you got any cold water? So you've got to be one or the other. You've either got to be refreshing, or you've got to be hot. That's why he says, it's not cold meaning I wish you were one or the other, because if you're cold, I'm going to throw you out. No, it's not cold in that sense. It's refreshing. You've got to be refreshing to people. Or you've got to be hot and get them excited. And I, I think we, we should be both of those things, shouldn't we? Refreshing and hot. Cold and hot. <laughs> 13, 11 to 14. So the hours come for you to wake up from your slumber, get out of bed, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. You know why you could say that? Because every man is not that far away from the time when they'll depart from this earth. Every man is not that far away from that time. It doesn't mean, okay, it was 2,000 years since this was written, but it doesn't mean that, like, that's a long time, 2,000 years. But to each person... The day is nearly; the night is nearly over. This is what this life is. It's like night time in comparison to what we're going to receive in the kingdom of heaven. We have to get through this dark period of our life, and the problem is, is if we think it's pretty good, which many of us do, we've got a pretty good life. You know, if the darkness within you is, is a light, you've got to be careful. We've got to remember, we're only visitors here. You know, it'd be easy to, to really not like this life, you know, if we were living in some of those countries where things are terrible. But the issue with us here in, the, in, in, the, in, the, in Adelaide and in Australia is things can be, get pretty good. You can have a cruisy life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Be careful when it's really, really cruisy because that can draw you really far away from God and we lose that passion to get excited about the things of God. So in it all, keep your head about it. Spend adequate time in prayer. Let him burden you with what concerns him, not what concerns you. Too many of us go into the prayer closet with things that concern us, but we've got to go into prayer closet and say, God, forget about me for a second. What concerns you? I've started doing that recently. I got sick of hearing my own requests. It's like, oh, Rob, will you shut up? I felt like saying to myself, I did say it to myself. Shut up, Rob. And then I started to get concerned with what God wants. What do you want, God? I want this, this, and this, but what do you want? And God sort of must have looked at me and said, finally. (laughs) Finally. Because you're not getting the things that you want at the moment. Except on Father's Day. (laughs) I hope, Fina, that's not nice. So let us behave, listen to this now, verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime. See? Let's not behave like they do in the, dar- in the times of darkness, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather, and here's our verse for the week, I think it's this week's verse, Bill. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ and don't think about, just don't think, refuse to think about ways to satisfy your sinful nature. Just think of ways to please God. It's all about pleasing Him. At the end of the day, that's what we're here to do. The meaning of life. People got all these different ways of thinking about the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? And there's that big mystery. That's not. It's easily solved in the scriptures. We were created to please God. That's it. If We please God. We've we've attained to the meaning of life. And you can't get a more fuller, complete life than that. And pleasing him in every way, shape and form. Now if that means we've got to get into the prayer closet for an hour a day in the morning, get in there, please him get into the prayer and please God. Put him first. Because I tell you, and I always say this, you won't be more than two minutes dead and you'll wish you spent more time pleasing God. You know, you enter into the death realm and people are entering into the death realm all the time. Who knows that? You know, we've seen many recently. And... The moment you enter in, that's when you're gonna, everything is going to make much, so much more sense. There will be so much clarity at that time. Oh, it was all about Jesus, was it? Oh, it was all about pleasing God. You know, a lot of people that we know enter the death realm and don't know that that's the meaning of life. They've never worked it out. I've got a grandmother who's nearly 102, isn't she? Nearly 102. She's still got all the faculties. You talk to her on the phone, it's like talking to a 60-year-old. But guess what? She's never worked out the meaning of life. She hasn't worked it out. And I'll try to tell her, but she'll go, yeah, okay, okay, enough of that already, you know. And um, you're just hurt for her because you think, how can you get that old? How can you have that much life experience and still not found Jesus Christ and be brave enough to enter death without him? I tell you what, I'm not that brave. Men, who knows when your moment's from death, whose name are you going to be calling on? Full on. It's There's no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. You won't be calling on your friends. You won't be calling on your parents. You won't be calling on anyone except Jesus Christ. I remember I heard a report of someone who, and I think I said this a few weeks ago, of a, a plane that... It seemed like it was going down, it seemed like it was going to crash. And a passenger in there was calling on Jesus, he was a Christian, he says, you could not believe that there was only one name I heard during that period as the plane is seemingly going to crash. All you heard was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the only name you can think of. And you know what, I wouldn't be surprised if a Muslim was going down he would be calling on Jesus. Why didn't I call him Muhammad? Well, we can't save. Only Jesus can save. And inside us all, we know that. We fight it, but we know it. Only one man died and rose again. Only one man has that as part of history. Evidenced by 300, uh, or was it 300? 500 seeing him at once. Seeing him at once. So five hundred of his disciples witnessed him alive after during that 40-day period before he ascended. No other religion has that. So that that to me is confirmation. We are in the right religion. You know, Buddha, we know where his well we think we do, (laughs) know where his tomb is, or at least where he was buried. Muhammad, they know where he is, in Medina somewhere. You know? And he fulfilled 300 prophecies. He was the only man that had his whole life written about before he lived it. We knew exactly what he was going to do. If you read the prophecies, you would know exactly what he was going to do. Yeah, he's going to get a donkey. Get on a colt. And there'll be palm branches. You know, it was all written about. And he'll be born in Bethlehem. And he'll be called a Nazarene. And he'll have to escape Herod's clutches and go to Egypt. You know, it was all written about hundreds up to a 1,500 years before. Thanks, Bill. Ah, 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians. Finally out of Romans. See, if I had the Amplified, I'd still be halfway through. Not even. And I love the Amplified. Great version. Invest in an Amplified. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2 straight away. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, and it says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, see, sanctified, in Christ Jesus. And called to be holy. The Corinthians were called to be holy. Does that speak to us as well? Is it only the Corinthians that were called to be holy? Was the rest of us to be unholy? It's the church, isn't it? <laughs> it's the church. Called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See? See? He just added, together with all those everywhere, called to be holy. We're all called to be holy. This is, it's such a massive emphasis in the New Testament. I am surprised that the doctrine's not preached more often. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. 3, verse 12, and it says, If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw... His work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So... Our works. This is the actual works. The things that we bother doing every day. To me, being in ministry, preaching is a work. You know, I have to. I, I feel called to do this, so I do this, and I, I preach, and I make the videos, and all of these things. And one day, everything that I've done is going to be tested with fire, and I know that. So I want to make it. Gold, I want to make it a precious diamond, you know, a ruby. I want to make every work that I do precious in the sight of God so that these things will be with us for eternity, so that my videos will be around for eternity. Do you know what I mean? So it's very important that we understand that. It's, this is, and It says here that, you can't lose your salvation. So just say I mess these things up, but I hold to the fundamental doctrines of the faith and, and I get through, you know, I won't, I won't be discarded, but everything that I've spent my life doing for God will be discarded. Or everything that I've spent my life doing not for God will be discarded. Now you can be guaranteed one thing. Things that you don't do for God won't be you know, considered that precious to God now is there things that you have to do and it might not be for god who knows sometimes we can just work and do a mundane job just to get the money in yeah right now that's important because we have to do it and if we do it with the right attitude we do it with a christian attitude it's actually a blessing to god and god will probably see it favorably because you've supported your family and you've done these sorts of things but who knows that we can Many things that we do can be have nothing to do with God. It can be all about pleasure. It can be all about self, you know. And who knows, you know, you can spend hours on the computer just searching for stuff and watching movies and just really trying to find a way to entertain yourself. Yeah. When, when you're feeling pretty exhausted, what's the first thing you want to do? TV, isn't it? Oh, I'm so tired. Let's just put on the box. You know, and you sit there and you flick through the stations. Let's watch some movie, you know. Sometimes you need to do that, right? Be careful what you watch. So you'll suffer loss only as one escaping uh, through the flames. You don't want to escape through the flames. I remember there was a minister he, many, many years ago. He says, many Christians will get into heaven with their backsides on fire. You know, like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> put that out. <laughs> Angels run up with a fire extinguisher. You know, you don't want to get up there and have a hot backside. You want to get there and know that, you know, you deserve to be there. You know, you've got to be worthy. Jesus says, you, unless you take up your cross, you're not worthy of being mine. And there's this whole mentality, we don't have to be worthy. Jesus said it. You know, I don't listen to the popular sayings, catchphrases anymore of Christianity. Catchphrases. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. Come on, it's about religion. <laughs> if you don't have religion, you don't have relationship either. You're kidding yourself. If you're not religious in your prayer life, you won't have a relationship. I just, I just talk to God. Really? How often? Oh, I don't know, a few minutes a day. You call that a relationship? I'd hate to be your life partner. You know? We've got to have religion. We've got to be religious about it in the sense of commitments. You know, and I've said this a number of times, and I'll say it again for anyone who hasn't heard me say it, is, you know, when you get an athlete, an exceptionally good athlete, like a Usain Bolt sort of thing, and they'll say, they'll use a, a very specific thing. They'll say, he's very religious in his training. He does his training every day without missing a beat. So what does that tell you about the word religion? When, when an athlete uses the term, it means that they do it regardless of whether they feel like doing it. And we've got to have that religious, religiosity. We've got to do it even when we don't feel like doing it. We've got to get into prayer even when we don't feel like praying. We've got to be religious about those things. So along comes, it's not about religious, it's about relationship. And, and this freedom came and, and suddenly Christianity, ever since those times, has started to be on the decline. Less influential. Christians that used to, back when they were religious, used to pray and pray and pray. When the pulpits used to preach on hell and sin and repentance. This was what? 20, 30 years ago. Suddenly that's gone. And guess what it came in? It's not about religion, about relationship. 20, 30 years ago. And it's dangerous because the Bible uses the term religion. What is true religion? It says, you know, giving to the poor and to the widows, looking after the orphans and widows in their distress. is true religion. Okay, and it says this here. In verse 16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you. You are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you yourselves are that temple. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you truly believe in God, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now this is important. You know, when it says the church is not a building, this building is not the church. You guys are the church. You're the temples filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't feel like a temple, if you don't feel like the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you, as he should, because you can't even say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you can say that, you've got the Holy Spirit. But I'm saying the full measure the full measure of the Holy Spirit where he is pleased to come upon you fully and completely. If that's not happening in you, then you've got to, it's just it one thing, not enough time in prayer. It all comes back to prayer. Um, I was going to read from a book today, uh, Duell, uh, uh, what's his first name? Wesley Duell. I was going to read, instead of doing this sermon, I had some, because there's been some absolutely powerful, passages in this book talking about the importance of prayer and then he talks like he spends a whole chapter talking about the sin of prayerlessness by the end of it i was too scared to not pray too scared not to pray that's what we have to be because it's a major sin I, i actually just thought it was you know a sin of omission it's a little sin you know the big sins are like murder and adultery and all those other things and the little sins are like you know not praying as we should but man, by the end of that, I was like, whoa, I'm, I don't want to not pray. I better pray. So next time, or one of these weeks, I'm going to bring that up. And I'll just read from the book because he says it all there. And uh, as I do, I commentate as we go. But um, very, very powerful. You've read it, haven't you, Elizabeth? Powerful, powerful book. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 20. Now, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that the wicked... And he's saying this to Corinthians. Again, he's directing this at the church. He's not speaking to unbelievers because there's no unbelievers among the Corinthian church. Do not be deceived. So he's telling them, don't be deceived, guys. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you know what? This whole homosexual thing that's going on at the moment, if people ask me, is it fine to be a homosexual, I say no. Oh, you're a homophobe. No, I'm not scared of them. I'm not scared of a homosexual. But you ask me a question, according to Scripture, I'll answer it according to Scripture. If the Scriptures say homosexual offenders are fine and they'll inherit the kingdom of heaven, that's what I'd be saying. But the Scriptures don't say it, so I can't say it. and I, I don't like these Christians that come and twist the word of God. And I've read their articles. They're pathetic. They're twisters of the truth. They twist it. And nowhere, anywhere in the world should there be a Christian that agrees with that. Nor, though, should we agree with anything else like adultery or, or um, you know, uh, slander and, and all these other lists. So we're not singling out the homosexuals. We're sing- singling out all sexual offenders. They all must come to repentance. They all must come to repentance. So I can't falsely say, yeah, you're still going to receive the kingdom of heaven if you continue to do that sin, says drunkards. So I say to a drunkard, if you continue to drink, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's not fair. Well, think what you like. The Bible says it, not me. So we must, we must hold firmly to Scripture. And don't let, let, even if it flies in the face of the modern culture, whoopie-doo. Whoopie-doo. Don't be afraid of men. Don't shrink back because of fear. Don't shrink back from the pure moral standards laid down in Scripture because we're afraid of the, of the culture and what is commonly accepted today. So neither did the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That is what some of us were. But you were washed. You were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord praise god jesus christ and by the spirit of our god now here's i just wanted to quickly before i finish just wanted to quickly talk to you about this next scripture and some people use this completely ignorant of its true meaning and there's it says in the niv it says everything is permissible some say everything is lawful um what does yours say uh anthony Verse 12, not everything is good for you. All right, now in the thing I like about the NIV here is it's in quotation marks. Everything is permissible for me. Paul's not saying that. Paul's not saying everything is lawful, everything is permissible, I can do whatever I want. He's not saying that, right? That's, it's in quotation marks. He's quoting a common phrase of the day, a Corinthian phrase. Everything is permissible for me. Everything is lawful for me was a phrase. Paul didn't believe that. He didn't think everything was permissible. He didn't think everything was lawful. Because it's clearly a contradiction to what Scripture teaches. So... The NIV makes that clear. Yours says, read it out really loud, Anthony, just that first bit. There you go, stop there. So you say, so it adds to clarify that you say everything is good for me or everything is lawful or everything is permissible. And then Paul says, and he, uh, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says it again, the same quote, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then it, uh, he quotes another quote that was a, a Corinthian quote, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and then Paul says, but God will destroy them both. So he's sort of like smashing them just briefly, though that saying shows the foolishness of these quotes. And then he goes on, the body is not meant for sexual Ill, immorality, but for the Lord. Your body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute, or unite them with a drug, or unite them with excessive amounts of alcohol, or unite them with some corrupt thing on the Internet? Never do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Then he says this, flee, flee. Run as fast from this as possible. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We're we're His. We're His. What are we doing? You know, what what is the church doing when it's so lax on this doctrine? I'm, I'm stopping on that scripture there because I've, I'm only into 1 Corinthians. I've got 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, etc. I'm going to go through um, the, the whole of the New Testament. And there is that many scriptures that say the same thing in different ways. So we're getting different aspects. So it's not boring, I hope. But at least we're starting to see the fullness of this doctrine. It's not about works, is it? Is it about works? No. Right? It's a living holy life is not works. Preaching is a work. Right? Doing ministry is a work. Doing all those sorts of things, and, and you know even your work is your work, the things that we do. So the things we do in the day are works, and it's not, they don't save you. And I'm not saying um, that without because this is the other thing, you can't be holy without the Holy Spirit. Right? then it would be, if you were trying to be holy without the Holy Spirit, then you're more than likely a Buddhist or something, because that's what they attempt to do. They attempt to be really, really good, but they will always fail. The way they end up getting good is to go into some temple, not see anyone anymore, shut themselves away, and think nothing. Right? You can pretty well, what you're doing is you, you're not doing anything. You're sitting in a room, struggling with your own thoughts. And then guess what? Those poor guys. Thoughts don't stop. No matter how hard you're going to try to empty yourself of thoughts, thoughts are going to keep coming back and plaguing you and they're going to feel corrupted by everything they think and they're never going to achieve that state of nirvana that they're always trying to achieve. So it's not about that. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We can't be holy unless the Holy Spirit has got a hold of us. Amen. So, who's got that today? I'm glad. Thank you. you. All right, Lord, just uh, I just pray that this really gets into all of us, and that you uh, run that all of these guys here today will run with uh, with this teaching and really apply it into their lives. And I think, Lord, if anything can be made of it, is that we must dedicate ourselves and commit ourselves to prayer. We must spend quality time with you Lord we must go into that room and lock ourselves away with you until our mind clears until our thoughts clear so that we can focus on you until we can know your will and so Lord I just pray that you really do uh, make a big change in all of us this week and uh, help us to keep getting closer and closer to you and that Lord this church will start to shine for your glory And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Just bless everyone now and and may we have a wonderful time of fellowship and uh, be with them all week, be with all of us all week, cover us with your precious blood, Lord, and put your angels around us and carry us, protect us, guide us, direct us all week long so that we uh, will meet here again next week um, and uh, praise and worship you in your presence. So we bless your name and uh, thank you, Lord, for this time. Amen. Amen.